Hey everybody, welcome to The Afterword. I'm Dave Tish. This week, oh, it's it's kind of a marathon session, but I'm also really excited about it. We're in the second week of Compassion Immersion, where we just take a look at the work that God is doing across the globe and right here in the Bay Area with some of our ministry partners. And this week we have um, just, it's, it's, it's kind of a two-parter. Now the first part, I get to talk to Finney Abraham and Melissa Hung, who head up our local compassion team here at Westgate. They share incredible stories about how they saw God move this past year and the things that really inspired them. That's an awesome story. It's kind of this overview. And then in the second part of the afterword, it's a deep dive. I get to interview one of our international missionaries who happens to live right here as part of our Westgate family. His name is Jeff Hudgens, and he started a nonprofit called Impact Laos. His story is incredible. It's a story that only God could write. It's a story of ups and downs and tragedy and reversal and beauty coming out of ashes. And it's just it's just an incredible story. So if you'd like to stick around, you can hear that long-form interview with Jeff, who started Impact Laos. So with that, let's just dive right in because there's a lot to get to. Well, hey, everybody, welcome to The Afterward, man. I'm excited because here with me are two of my favorite people on staff. I'm, I'm not really allowed to have favorites. I'm not, but I have favorites and uh, everyone on staff I love. But uh, I'm here with Finney Abraham and Melissa Hung, who kind of head up and, and run the local compassion part of our church. Um, you guys you guys have been running that now for... Finney, when did you come and take over? I, I It feels like a hundred years, but wow. it hasn't been. It's only been a... It's, it's only been four years. Four years. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. Lots of learning. And Melissa, when did you transition to become just primarily about local compassion? Gosh, that's kind of fuzzy too, but I would say two and a half. No, whenever you started. Uh, 2018? Yeah. Wow. 2018 is last year, right? No? We missed a couple years there. Man, and and let's be honest, the COVID pandemic makes everything a little fuzzy. Yeah. I said to my wife the other day, I go, yeah, last summer. She's like, that was three summers ago. (laughs) I'm like, what? That's right. Uh, okay, so local compassion, which means, and that's kind of a, a weird title. Yeah, it is. Uh, because, first of all, the word compassion is like your whole job is compassion. How would you describe it to somebody who, yeah. uh, your department and what you and Melissa and others on your staff uh, do? Yeah, well, quickly about the word local compassion, and it's not local outreach, um, because com- it is about uh, compassion. It is about uh, giving something. Uh, and that needs to be sacrificial and not expecting anything out of it. And um, so, yeah, so it is about trying to uh, live like Jesus lived in our community and to uh, head those efforts. So, yeah, so we do everything outside the walls of our church uh, in Santa Clara County. And um, and it has been fun to work with uh, local government, uh, nonprofits, churches, um, events that happen here, disaster Right. And whatever happens, we are there to support the city as much as we can. Our our goal is to support um, whatever is happening in the city with the efforts that we bring in, so that it will contribute to human flourishing. Contribute to human flourishing mm-hmm. or a common good. These are beautiful words. Now, how many missionaries do you guys support 
that are just local? Because I know we have like 51 that are like across the board, but how many are just local? Um, Good question, Melissa. <laughs> we have Melissa, that. do you have that number? Gosh. Is um, it thir- it's like 13 or something? Are you talking about the monthly supported? No, there's, yeah, yeah, the monthly supported folks, yeah. Yeah, I think so. We'll have the num- exact number in, in our CI book. So everyone, <laughs> I please think it's go. Around fourteen, but that's funny because I think Kayvon kind of handles more of of that piece of the um, the monthly giving. Yeah, yeah, let me probably explain a little bit of that. Sure. So everything related to money, um, you know, our Go Board and Kayvon, who is our global compassion pastor, um, kind of leads that. Yeah. And everything related to people, that is interaction and volunteer work and all of that. Local compassion. Uh, I see. Yep. So, so uh, you've got you've got we've got supported missionaries mm-hmm. that, um, and those are everything from um, the the prison uh, yep. prison chaplaincy to uh, homeless shelters to um, what Danny Sanchez does with the the gang abatement and uh, th- there's a lot. So there's pro the, life things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff like uh, the 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 pl- uh, help one child. Help one child. Um, but also the crisis pregnancy centers, mm-hmm. um, I, I, they, they go on and on and on. Yep. Um, but it's not just that it's also projects because over COVID things really had to shift. Mm-hmm. And, and you're talking about compassion. There was a lot of people hurting mm-hmm. and there's a lot of people in need. Right. And our church kind of had to, to pivot. I think about the, the fires, mm-hmm. uh, the SEU fire complex that happened when, when that happened, uh, over the, the summer, of 2020 like what 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 exactly how did you know what to do and how did you spring into action yeah finney got a call <clears throat> with the connection and quickly um we sent a text out via the westgate app and i mean i got to south hills campus as soon as i could which was probably 15 to 20 minutes and shortly after i arrived we already had members of the congregation coming with truckloads of stuff i don't even know how they were so fast i have a feeling people were already starting to try to get supplies water blankets um things like that yeah and probably because didn't people know. were evacuated out of their homes and they right. were living like in uh because they didn't know where the fire was going to go they were living in like uh, or or staying in uh, churches shelters. in schools and shelters that kind of stuff and so water food blankets yeah and you're saying you got here in like 15 minutes yeah. and there was already trucks coming Shortly after, for the next, what, six hours, it was nonstop cars just coming in. I think after we put out the Westgate uh, text, people were posting it on Nextdoor and Facebook. So not only was it um, the Westgate community, it was the Almaden area community, people from all over um, just coming and showing up to our campus for the first time and wanting to help. They, um, there was an older couple of the story. She said, I was just resting on the couch and I this text woke me up so I <laughs> got my husband I said we got to get to Walmart we got to load up so they bought every single blanket they could wow and they came we unloaded it within an hour I saw them again this time they went to a grocery store wow. and um, bought I don't know how many pallets of water wow. and so they we were helping them unload and they just had tears in their eyes because they were so touched by the community coming together and serving in, in such a way yeah there was another cool story uh, our executive pastor Dan Perkins was yeah. having breakfast that day morning at uh, a local restaurant here, and he heard a conversation 
right behind him about <laughs> people telling, hey, <laughs> folks in South, in Westgate Church are, are getting stuff for people in fire. We should go and give some. And it was, it, it somehow, you know, it just, wow. just went spread. Uh, viral. It spread like wildfire. Wait, no, no. <laughs> That's not the metaphor we want to go with. That's not the metaphor. No, but it, it was amazing to see the generosity yeah. of people. And what I learned from it is that there is, that there is a, you know, a, a disaster. Everyone run away from it. Somehow we try to walk into it. Yeah. But as soon as we stepped in, you know, it kind of gave confidence and hope for everyone else. It was yeah. not just Christians coming here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we had somebody who came all the way from Hayward. Uh, and Yeah, and coming and giving stuff. So I, I need to help. I want to help. I know right. it's the right thing to do. Yeah. You guys are doing it. Let me participate. That's, yeah. that's incredible. Yeah, yeah I remember... I remember it, because I think a, a, a text went out to all the staff and you were like, everyone, South Hills, we're going to need your help unloading. That's right. And and I remember we must have loaded and unloaded water f- for hours. It didn't seem to end. Nope. Yep. There was carts going back and forth. It was, in, it was incredible. And the, and the big thing here is, you know, I'm just constantly amazed about the generosity of folks who go to Westgate and churches around here. Uh, it is pretty amazing and encouraging to see that. And yeah. literally, as you know, uh, Steve had to go to Facebook and say, stop. stop. <laughs> <laughs> there was more. Yeah, there's more that came in. So, But that wasn't the only thing that we had to pivot on in, in COVID. And a lot of churches were in this. And that was the, the there was a lot of people hurting, mm. um, especially in the, the COVID pandemic did not affect everyone equally. Mm-hmm. It affected everyone but it did not affect everyone equally. And if you look at the income distribution of our city, it's very weird. It's unlike probably any other city, probably in the nation, maybe in the world. And that's, it's not a bell curve with a lot of folks in the middle. It's, it's, it's just this weird distribution where there's a ton of people with money. And then there's these lower wage earners, about, about 6,000 families that they, that we've identified that make less than $35,000 a year and their jobs and ability to make money almost vanished overnight. Right. And if you think about $35,000 a year living in the Bay area, that's not very much at all for a family, for a family. And so out of that came tremendous need. And that's when our food bank had to pivot and it turned from a thing that was sort of going on and sort of helping people and there was like four or five times the volume. And Melissa, you you were heading that one up too. That was well, <laughs> a bunch of us were, but no, the um our the previous uh, team they, they did a tremendous job for 15, 20 years and had a um co- consistent group of um of clients as we call them, maybe 60, 65 families. And during the pandemic, we uh, quickly tripled, quadrupled, um, and we partnered with Second Harvest, who provides food for us, and so. Um, yeah, we quickly had to pivot from a market style to a drive-through right. uh, an o- operation to keep everyone safe. So um, the community, the Westgate community came together, staff came together, and we just had to pivot. Um, and people were so thankful to have found our site and uh, receive um, a week's worth of food, sometimes right. more. Yeah. Yeah, depending on their household size. Right. Yeah, and uh, the whole goal with Food Pantry, again, um, you know, I remember during 2020 when staff uh, came to help out uh, at the real hardcore shelter-in-place time, that was the only time we would come out of our house mm-hmm. yeah. 
to a place to see other people. Yeah. It was it was almost kind of a, for me at least as uh and and person who's interested in history this could be the way in early church when there is persecution and stuff and you go and meet someone and you try to serve um and probably in different other countries till right you know like right. places in north korea and others like folks don't just there's no freedom and you get there and you get to do some and we experience that as a staff to come and serve others it's interesting that we were serving uh other folks who were in need but in many ways it was serving ourselves totally you know it was becoming a major blessing to us and um yeah and it it you know the goal of food pantry is not just to give food it is to build relationship with these folks right and uh to see in ways that we could um we could love them because at finally at the end of the day um it is Jesus who can yeah. heal and um you know more than any other material things we can provide so so that's food pantry and um i i think so yeah we've been doing great we have so many amazing westgate volunteers who are coming up to serve and um um just organizing that has been a blessing yeah it it does seem that and you hit on something in terms of compassion uh there're two i i i read once an article uh this past year that talked about two buckets of human suffering and they're both important and they're often they're hardly ever both held up as both being equally important. The first bucket is like the stuff you talked about. It's um, it's human suffering. It's what it means to be human. It's loss. It's grief. It's um, fear. It's needing hope to need to know that you're not alone, that there's meaning and purpose and that there's a God. And, and, all, and what, hap- what do you do with death and what do you do with suffering? It, it's what it means to be a human. But then there's another bucket and that's, the very real suffering that happens because of economic inequality, because of uh, the systems of the world, injustice, all those kinds of things. And that's, um, our, our world doesn't hold both intention. <laughs> it, it, it usually focuses on one and ignores the other, or, and, and here we have kind of both. We were obviously able to give food, mm-hmm. um, and that's critical. But it's not just about giving food. It's, it's about much more, like you said, relationship and those kinds of things. Yeah, and the reason is, and we'll talk more about it when we talk about poverty, because usually people think that what folks need are material things. It's just an American thing, that what you need is a better house and a better car and a better all of that, right? But right. when you really talk to people who are in poverty, right, what they tell is what they miss or what they don't have is relationships. Mm-hmm. What they need is getting their relationships set mm-hmm. with right. others, with people, with God, and with, you know, uh, right. how, how they could get healed there. And that is something we totally miss right. if we only think about what we give. Well, even thinking about the homelessness situation in the Bay Area or Northern California, which has exploded because of the poverty pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the numbers from the city, I think a couple years ago, we were about 3,000 homeless we're now at 6,000 homes. I mean, it's, it's, and it's, it's part of its addiction, mm-hmm. part of its mental health. Uh, and so those are not going to be dealt with just by giving somebody a house or a food, right? right? But then there's also the sense of like, where do you live? And like, how, how can we get people indoors? Mm-hmm. And that, that is the part and, and food and job training. And, and uh, we, yeah, went, if- we went to a, a number of symposiums and they were like, homelessness is actually a relational and community problem. Right. It's, it's, it's not, it's, of course it's a community problem. You're like, no, no, it's a problem about people who are homeless need community. They need family right. because that's, that's, 
that's one of the solutions. If it was just a money issue, we could have solved it, right? Santa Clara County could have solved it for right, sure. Right. I mean, there is a bond for homelessness issues in Santa Clara County not being used. $750 million. I wanted to. $750 million. The issue is not money. The issue is relationship. The the folks who can actually do something about this are actually faith communities. Right. And I believe Christian people. Yes. We can do something about it, but uh, I'm sure that God has a timing for it and, and we'll step into it. You know, another thing that I want to talk about. Sure. That actually is growing, and 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 because of the efforts of um, churches, and especially Westgate Church, um, after the pandemic, was this thing about poverty. Oh yeah, uh, poverty was always always here, uh, but for some reason, um, it was unnoticed. Mm-hmm. And um, but uh, COVID really helped us to see that. So we stepped into, um, you know, helping some efforts uh, that the city was doing. We were in contact with the city's economic advisor and some council members. And I was there in some initial meetings just to dream, what can we do to help folks who lost their jobs and falling into poverty, meaning that they will, they will lose their homes and stuff, to help them to get back. And, um, and we initially stepped into this program of getting a bunch of churches involved in this thing called United Against Poverty Pandemic. And uh, you, Westgate Church, you you gave about $100,000 to start right. that. And and churches around came and gave more, and we raised, I think, so close to uh, half a million dollars um, in supporting this effort. Um, and we were able to train close to 100 people, get them into different jobs. Uh, but the, the mission of that work is actually still going. And now we are thinking in terms of how we can coordinate these efforts, give the church in the Bay Area, Silicon Valley, a vision about the poor. The reason is this. You know, poverty under the shadow of affluence is a tough, like a weird kind of poverty because it gets unnoticed. Yeah. Because this area is so wealthy. Absolutely. Yeah. It gets unnoticed and it gets to a point where Either we are callous about it, that we just see stuff and it doesn't affect us anymore. Right. Or we really don't see it. Right. But it is around us. Right. And and I think so 2020 gave us an opportunity to see that and not just to see that, but to understand it from a scripture point of view, that good news to the poor is what is going to change the situation. Being able to help them to see that. And that's just not preaching. That is living out, that is being uh, God's goodness and love in the community. And that involves time and skill and talent and treasure and everything. And um, I think in this last year, we were able to do a small portion of that. And I'm sure that we can do more. As what we did go you forward. see that was a super effective? Because like you said, it's not just money. Right. There's something bigger than that. What did you see that was really effective? Yeah, I, I think... Um, you talked a little bit about job training. Right, so there's a sense of... There are specific things we did, uh, right? So there, the specific things are about... We came to know that the biggest need that possibly we could do something that we are uniquely capable for is to help the undocumented folks. Oh. Right? So everyone else could have some sort of help coming from the government or you know there are ways that folks who are here could get help. And there's a lot of people who are undocumented who are working and, you know, who's, who's living and their situations are much more worse because they couldn't get no help from the government. Right. 
And so we felt as as faith communities, not just Westgate, but several other churches. That's cool uh, that there was that kind yeah, of common bond. Yeah, that's that's their only hope. Even yeah. government told us that, hey, we want to help, but we can't. Sure. You guys can't. And so, and that's because we just we just want to care and help where there's a need. And so, yeah, we stepped into that, and that involved um, getting to know them. That's involved, you know, having a trusting relationship with them. And that got to involve local leaders to find local solutions and not like things that we read or read from a book or see from somewhere else. Um, and yeah, so we got to connect with a lot of Christian nonprofits that are doing amazing work and support them, work with them, mm. um, and resource them uh, to to get into some of these issues. That involved um, some ESL training, some job training, uh, some connections to people who are already in places who have jobs right. and, and helping them to connect to that. Um, and inviting folks who are, you know, in our community to to hire local, to, you know, um, buy things local, to probably tip a little bit more. We talked about triple tipping. Yeah. I remember I was sitting in a meeting and, and somebody said, listen, most of the folks that you're going to be tipping, why don't you triple tip if you can? Right. I was like, triple tip? Yeah. What? That's like 40, 50 percent like that. And they're like, do it. Yeah. Just do it. Can you do it? And, and since then I haven't been able to not triple tip. And cause that voice was like, yeah. can you afford it? Yeah. Do it. You yeah. know? And I think uh, so that's the next step, even as a Christ yeah. follower. Yeah. Right. And when I read the story of Zacchaeus, I, I think so why he was able to do what he did when Jesus, he met with Jesus was because that was the next step for him. Yeah. Right. And and I think so to ask the question, what is the next step? It's not just about how much you gave, whatever it may be, is that is your next step, probably yeah. to yeah. double tip or triple tip and and see what could God could do with that generosity. As simple as something like a haircut. For a long time we couldn't get haircuts. So my son and I, we went to get a haircut and uh we we've you know, we go to the same place and we know the woman and it, it's it's her livelihood and it went away for a while. And so the cost of the haircut, we just doubled it. Mm. And that's what we just, and she's like, what, what you, you overpaid. And we're like, no, we didn't. Yeah. We didn't. Yeah. We and, talked about them. We talked about mm-hmm. our gardeners and folks yep. who were, who were having a difficult time. And it's and having I, your eyes open right. and then saying, my money's not just mine. My right. money belongs to God, all of it. And we need to be people who are generous. Yeah. And so, so, you know, there is the issue of poverty is very, um, not just complicated because you know sure. ways to you know f- fix it, but it's also very political. And I have to, I have to say this: the reason is because yeah. it it gets into all kinds of intersectionalities when it comes. And and I would say the reason that this got political historically, because I like to write history, read history <laughs> a little bit, is because the church went back from what it's supposed to do, and it got to places folks who are who think they are helping. But the fact of the matter is this: right that that the issue, the answer to issues that we see related to the poor is generosity. Simple as it, that God has given and God's people become generous, not to forcefully take from them, right? It's to be generous. And if we do, if we are generous, God will do something with it, how much ever small it is, right? So the example of the lady who was at the temple or whatever gives two cents or like two yeah 
coins, coins. and God blesses it. It's yeah. not about how how big or how small it is. So so my challenge personally for me because it is hard. It is hard to look at. <clears throat> it's hard to look at the poverty in the city and not be overwhelmed. Right. Because I mean I think that the rent debt. I remember at one point we were in a meeting and the rent debt for all the families who were on the lower earning end of um, Santa Clara County was $117 million. That's right. Yeah. And, and I'm like, well, that, that, that number's so big. I can't even think about it. Like, you know what I mean? Uh, so it, it is easy to get overwhelmed, Yeah. but you're saying, no, look, like just, just move. Yeah. And, and the, right there in that data, right. We talked about this yeah. that there was another data that said there were about 200, a thousand, I mean, uh, to, uh, I don't know how many families, but how many are families who make over two hundred or three hundred thousand dollars if they give a thousand two hundred one? Oh yeah. So what it was is there was a, a there was a number of families, and I'll fill this in later. But the number of families that make over two hundred thousand was X. Because we're floundering for the numbers, let me just tell you what they are. I have the data right in front of me. There are fifty eight thousand households in Santa Clara County that make less than thirty five thousand dollars a year and there are a hundred and sixty thousand households that make more than two hundred thousand and so that's the weird data bell curve that we're referring to yeah and if each of those families gave seven hundred dollars one time one time once it would wipe out this this number the 117 million yeah so and we- i'm like if you make over two hundred thousand seven hundred dollars is like Seventy dollars right. for other folks, right? Yeah. So it was like, oh wow. But I also want to be careful that this is truly not about you know about the numbers of how much people make or not. I think so. Everyone has a responsibility to be generous. Oh yeah, sure. And sure. I, so I'm asking. Yeah, myself, it's easy for me to be like, well, I'm yeah, not rich. I mean, right. I don't make you know, but really, I'm rich right. because I have clothes, I have food. Yeah. Um, you're you're on the five yeah. percent if you're yeah. in America, <laughs> you know? right? So just being in the United States means right. that there's all sorts of things, right? Right. And so, so what it, does it look to me in my situation here? And I think so. One of the things that Steve has said has always in my mind the balance between sacrifice and joy. Yeah, that's the number. Yep. What, and, and if it is not sacrificial, it's a problem. If it just doesn't create joy, that's also a problem. Yeah. And that has really helped me to yeah push my limits of generosity yeah. personally for me yeah and do the work with god right. and say listen this is yeah this is all yours yep and there's Let's no talk. there's no formula for this what is is yeah. that you listen yeah and you're convicted yeah. by god yeah and just do the right thing and many of you who are listening to us are doing the right thing yeah. we're thankful it's really yeah it's really incredible yeah melissa let me turn to you what did you see this year that really inspired you um or that grew your understanding of God or that, that really inspired and impacted you? Again, I'll, I'll go back to the generosity of our church. Um, we'll put, put out um, uh, donation requests, for example, mask donations, uh, hygiene kit donations. Um, early pandemic, you couldn't buy disposable masks. That's you right. had to have know someone who could <laughs> sew one for you. And so we had people in our congregation so i don't know 50 70 150 masks like nonstop. um even after our donation drive they would still email and say hey i made some more we had people that moved out of state uh, temporarily and still ship these masks to us and there was such a blessing um to the people that were able to distribute it to um hygiene kits same thing 
um, we told the city we would be able to give them, let's say, 300. We ended up giving them 1,500. Oh, my goodness. And they were just blown away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have a incredibly um, generous church, and we're, so, we're just so thankful. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. That's Generosity is infectious. It yeah, is it like is. It's a virus. It is a good one. Okay, wait. wait. <laughs> I don't think I don't think we should use Bad I don't joke. think we should use that analogy Let's edit that. Let's edit uh, that. No, that's funny. No, no, right. It is. It is. It's a contagion of of generosity. You see other people. I I think it's because we're made in the image of God. We're meant for common flourishing mm-hmm. and for generosity. We're meant to give of ourselves selflessly. Mm-hmm. So when we see someone else do it, um it sparks this altruistic spark in us that is mm-hmm. divine. Mm-hmm. I think God put it there. Mm-hmm. And we're like, that's how humans are supposed to behave. Yeah. And I want to get behind that. And all it takes is one person saying, yeah, I'm doing this. Will you join me? Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think really the inspiring. greatest blessing that me as a member of our church and going to Westgate is the generosity yeah. of this community. N- not just in terms of money, but in terms of time and mm. caring for others and other churches and organizations uh, that's that's huge blessing personally in my life i've experienced it right and so um i think so that is that's the secret of the success do you agree with jay and and others who say that going forward in the silicon valley that compassion might be our most effective right. evangelistic ethic uh, or apologetic for yeah. the reality of who Jesus is. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, in, in my sermon, I actually uh, mentioned some of those uh, those ideas. And yeah, I I do think that in a in a generation that is so skeptical um, about uh, and asking the question if the church is good, they're not asking the question if church is true, if Christianity is true. They're asking if it is good. And in that kind of a culture. You know, our best apologetic is what we do, our actions. Yeah. And through our global and local efforts that you will read in this Compassion Immersion book, yeah. um, it it helps people to know that the church is still a force of good. Yeah. And uh, we require that. And and this also is this fact and numbers, right? Like the church and all faith communities, not just our church, whatever they do for the poor— that is not even calculated in the number of the county. So whatever the numbers the county has about the poor, about homeless, about others, what they're doing, that is minus what faith communities are doing. It's not even going there. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a large uh, amount of generosity and good that faith communities does in this in our community, and 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 to get to do that, and that way people being curious about the goodness and the beauty of God. I think so. That's our greatest evangelical tool. tool. Yeah, because it's it's God, it's Jesus's character manifested in His people, right? And being visible, the goodness of God, the grace of God, the provision of God, the generosity of God, being visible, and I, it's just really inspiring. Yeah. And 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 I I do think you're right. I think people are not asking, you know, and think how contentious this past year and a half was, right? It was just ugly, mm-hmm. ugly. We continue to be arguing so. yeah. over. You know this this idea or that idea, uh, arguing over this political thing or that political thing. That's where our society is. To so to see beautiful examples of self service and emptying and generosity yeah. to help people. Yeah, that's it's an opportunity, right? So yeah. yes, our communities are extremely polarized, but 
I see a great opportunity here, and that opportunity is to unite to serve the other. We have a great opportunity, and that is good news. Yeah, people will see that, and in the midst of so many bad news, yeah, we have an opportunity to unite on one thing. And me and you, we could differ in many things about our opinions. That's okay, but if we can unite in wanting to serve the other, because that's what Jesus would do. Mm-hmm. I think so. We we that's the greatest apologetic and the example that we could show to a skeptical world. And in, out there. And in some ways, the localness of this is like this is our community. We're working for local flourishing right. in our our community. I, I think about like when the pandemic started. There was a moment when all the healthcare workers were they had to quarantine in hospital uh, in um, hotels, right? right? Do you remember? And yeah. and uh, you guys sprung to action. Yeah, Valley Medical um, Center came to us, and um, we were able to partner with them and um, help contribute $10,000 to this fund to help uh, doctors and nurses and frontline workers quarantine safely. In, in because we didn't know anything about it at that point, mm-hmm. and we knew it was contagious. They had and to so, quarantine from their families for, terrible. For, for weeks on end. And so they get, and I remember the hospital administrator like made a video yeah. and he was almost like, he was like almost crying. He was like, this Couldn't is, believe it. Yeah. He, this is so amazing. Yeah. I don't know what that man believes about yeah. Jesus. Yeah, he, I don't know what he believes about church, but I know in that moment he saw something. I don't know what these people believe, but they helped real people. And I'm really grateful. There yeah. was something connecting us to him in that moment that was really look and we were saying look you're serving in ways we cannot mm-hmm. you are you are frontline i mean think about the beginnings of the pandemic we didn't know anything about anything nobody had vaccines it was dangerous right and so we're saying thank you and they were saying thank you back it was, it was really a beautiful connection yeah that that video is actually there on our local compassion page so you oh that's cool probably that's cool. go and visit it finney as as we as we jump out of this what inspires you or what do when you look toward the future, what most excites you when you think about local compassion going forward? Yeah, I mean, the, I think the most hopeful thing and the quick thing that come to my mind is I, I really do think that faith communities and Jesus communities in Santa Clara County are uniting. It's uh, so e- cool. E- even in that story of the healthcare workers, yeah, we gave 10000 but two, three other churches joined us, and together we gave close to thirty, forty thousand. 40000 And And that was... That was just a powerful... So you see like a like-minded, Absolutely. Uh, like ecclesiological commitment to Jesus in some local churches that's really binding us together as church families. Absolutely. There is, I do see a sense of unity. That's beautiful. Um, and maybe this is all God's way of helping us to see and get right priorities. Yeah. You know? And um, that is that is an exciting thing for me. Melissa, what about you? Um, I just want to add, you know, we talked about the generosity of um, people with donation drives and financially. We also have such a great um, uh, volunteers here at church Yeah, with our local ministries here at Westgate. For example, with ESL, um, they had to shift from in-person learning to online learning. We have a kids club that had to, all, all the ministries had to pivot during, sure. dur- during COVID. So, um you know, we have these ministries, for example, Kids Club. Uh, we talked about the food pantry, um, school impact, safe car park, beautiful day. Beautiful day is a huge one. How many volunteer hours are there, right? And and the beautiful day team. I mean, right. they give dozens of hours every year to plan these incredible projects. Right? Yeah, they start like uh, 
You just had your retreat last week, right? right. (laughs) And it's for October. It's for October. We're in January. Right. What are you guys doing? And so the (laughs) the incredible work of our volunteers, especially with Beautiful Day 2, is so that during Beautiful Day weekend, you know, we have thousands of people coming in and out, not knowing just what happened. And it's because of about 100 people who have been really, really thinking through this really well. Yeah. Again, I see the goodness of God there because we are doing something orderly in a beautiful way and yeah. giving it to the city. Yeah. And the city sees goodness in there. Yeah. And and so whatever we do, um, the the quality of what we do is good. And, and that is another way of uh, letting people know who God is. Yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to plug our ministries. If you are inspired to um, volunteer or give up our time to serve, we don't like to use the word volunteer to serve. Yeah. Um, You're volunteering to serve. Volunteering You're, to serve. I volunteer as tribute. Yeah. <laughs> Check out our uh, compassion page. Um, you'll read about the ministries and just or send talk us an to email. some of the local com- uh, ministers. Yep. Uh, the, we have some ministry partners that are going to be in the That's lobby right. for the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Or so. or email us at compassion at westgatechurch.org. Right. Absolutely. We have opportunities from you know couple hours a year to you know as many as you're willing to give absolutely well finney melissa thanks for stopping by but more than that thanks for serving our church and our city the way that you do love the work you're doing and uh, please stop by and keep sharing uh ideas especially if you have a need uh you're welcome on the afterward anytime thanks for having us thanks man all right bye All right, everybody, welcome to The Afterword. Uh, Super excited here. I'm here with Jeff Hudgens, who is one of our supportive missionaries. Um, And I just wanted to talk a little bit uh, about uh, your ministry, Jeff, which is called Impact Laos. Um, And a lot of people who've been around for a while have heard about Impact Laos. You've been one of our supportive missionaries since I came on staff like seven or eight years ago, but it's even before that. And I'd love for folks to know how a Silicon Valleyite um, got involved in a country all the way uh, across the globe in kind of uh, Southeast Asia. Um, people probably don't even know where Laos is, some people. Um, so why don't you talk, talk a little bit about where Laos is and then tell folks a little bit about your story about how you got involved because it's it's actually kind of an amazing uh, and powerful story. So. Um, first of all, thanks for being with us. And uh, why don't you just start uh, by telling us a little bit how you got involved in uh, in Laos? Sure, David. Thanks for thanks for having me. And um, kind of uh, the story starts with my dad was a pilot in the Air Force, and um, he was um, uh, flying during the Vietnam War. And um, one of part of his job. Uh, was um, search and rescue. And when a pilot um, went down, in, uh, typically in Laos, that was his area of operation. Um, many people don't realize that Laos is, um, Laos is along uh, between Vietnam and Thailand. And there were two actual wars going on at the same time during the Vietnam War. There was the Vietnam War, and then there was something called the Secret War that was going on in Laos. And um, Anyway, uh, he uh, a pilot had gone down uh, along the Lao-Vietnam border, and uh, his job was to uh, come in and um, uh, uh, get the bad guys away, and the helicopter would come in and try to get the good guys away. And and uh, it was a, a two and a half day intense search and rescue mission. Um, 
And uh, after two and a half days, they finally were able to get um, the enemy away. And my dad came in and, and uh, I mean, helicopter came in and picked up the pilot. And my dad was, was uh, laying down ordnance to cover the retreat when his plane was hit. Um, he started heading back to his base in Thailand. And um, uh, uh, there was some sort of secondary explosion and his tail section uh, fell off, um, uh, blew off and uh, his plane inverted and, and crashed and uh, killed him in, instantly. Um, and so that happened March 21st, 1970. And I had just turned six years old, six days prior to that. Oh, man. Yeah. So that started my uh, journey uh, in life. Um, for, uh, uh, growing up, you know, I just, um, grew up without a dad. My mom <clears throat> went into a, uh, kind of a depression for a couple of years. Oh, I can't imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did you have older, did you have any older brothers or sisters? Yeah. Two, uh, three older siblings. And, um, we ended up moving into, uh, moving from, <clears throat> Uh, we were living in, at the time, we were living in, in a West Texas town called Big Spring, Texas. Hmm. Um, and uh, we moved to Phoenix, where my mom's folks lived, right. uh, and lived, moved in with my grandparents, who were, um, and they ended up taking care of us a little bit. There were probably, there were, I don't, uh, I can't do the math real quick, uh, eight of us, nine of us living in a small little house. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it was, it was tough. So, uh Growing up, uh, I, I, my, my siblings, uh, my mom eventually came out of that depression. We moved into our own house, uh, but she ended up going to, to, to school full time, worked full time, and um, uh, to try to, to, to get her degree. And uh, my, my siblings all kind of went their own way and imploded or, or had to help with life their own way. And I was kind of taking care of myself from the time I was eight onward pretty much uh growing up i felt different hmm. um everybody else this was in the 70s and 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 uh um the, there just weren't a lot of single parent moms right and, um then and uh you know i got into you know if i wanted to do anything i had to do it by myself if i went to sports i i did it by myself i would have games there would just be me there no parents Right. Uh, you know, and, and so I just, I just felt different and I got into high school and, uh, was, uh, in Phoenix and, uh, first day of school, I knew some people in high school and they, they handed me a beer and started drinking some beer. And in that, um, in that parking lot, drinking beer, as we were talking, I felt part of I didn't feel different. I felt funnier than I'd felt before, better looking, um, uh, accepted. And, um, and so I um, continued to chase alcohol uh, throughout my high school to where it was, um, I was drinking every day by my senior year in high school. Um, and- um, It was just like a, a numbing agent to help you get through? Yep. Yeah, totally. Um, what, what, yeah, what I uh, since learned is I had this hole in, inside of me and I was using sure. alcohol and sure. drugs. So. Very common. So 
you're you're in high school. You're drinking a lot, and then what what's what's next in the story? So then I uh, <clears throat> I, I I tried quitting when I was seventeen. I tried quitting alcohol, and um, I gave it my my best shot. And every day was a struggle, and every day I was thinking about it. And and my best shot, and I lasted I lasted all of ninety days, and and I started drinking, and that night. I didn't get drunk that day, uh, that day, but that night I got a good buzz on. And that night I had, I had this moment of clarity um, and this moment of clarity that, that I had a problem and that I couldn't quit on my own. And that, um, that when I was done, I knew I was still having fun, but when I was done that I would go get help. I started. um, uh, And so uh, I started working in the restaurant business. And uh, there were people in the restaurant business that drank like I did. Um, they, they exposed me to drugs and to cocaine. And I really liked cocaine. Um, I liked the effect it produced. And so I went off and running um, and, and, and chasing that drug. I eventually, I moved up here to the Bay Area. I ran from all my problems. Alcohol and drugs gave me problems everywhere I went in Phoenix. And so I thought, well, I'll move. Yeah, San Jose. That's where my sister was. I, w- I followed her up here, um, and uh, the drugs here were so much better than the drugs there that it just, it just, it just rocketed me to a bottom. Um, rocketed that, that, me to the bottom. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like an inverted, uh, inverted booster. You're going straight yeah. down. <laughs> straight down. Now, how it's, old are you at this point? Are we we college age? We're young adult yeah. age. What are we at? Yeah, yeah. So I was probably 18 when I started doing drugs, and I was trying to go to college, but it's hard to go um, to college I'm, when you're on cocaine. It, it yeah, in general, it's a little hard. It's, it's a little a, hard. that's a difficult thing. <laughs> a little hard. Kept you know. I eventually got to the point where it was it was alcohol and drugs or college and um easily alcohol and drugs won out sure um and so uh, i moved here when i was like 19 and like i said and 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 just um you know rocking me to bottoms where it was try to find a place to live lose a job lose the place to live um lose friends lose family, get in debt, get a new job, get a new place to live, get out of debt, start drinking and drugging again, and go back down, right? I called it this toilet bowl that where I would just swirl my way down and then hit bottom and then claw my way back to the top again and get dig myself out of this, this hole. And then alcohol and drugs would just take me back down. And I eventually got to the point where where um, I was mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially, you name it, bankrupt. Yeah. I, ha- I had nothing. I had nothing left. No family, no friends, no possessions. I was homeless. Um, and this was in the 80s. And, and yeah. homeless wasn't as common back then, right? And I had no place to live. And I finally... I finally decided, okay, the, the gig is up. And so um, this was, uh, and so I had, I did, I barely had a job holding onto a job and in, in, in this restaurant. Um, and um, 
there was a new coworker that I hadn't used and abused because that's what everybody was, was a use and abuse to me. How was I going to get more alcohol, more drugs from you? That's all that, that's all that you were for me. And there was this new coworker. I knew he was a Christian. And um, I said to him, I said, Hey, um, I have a problem. And um, my, I, I'm, 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 my, I, I'm out of a place to live. And will you, I, I need to get help. And will you take me to get help? And, um, and he said, sure. And so he took me to get help. And, um, and so um, I went and got help that, that night. Was that at a, at a, at a program or what at, was a pro, it? at a program? And, um, uh, and so after that, that, program i got i got hope that my that that there was a solution to my problem and that i could get um you know that, that there was a solution to my problem so then after that 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 meeting i i i said okay well i don't have a place to live i said is there any chance i could stay at your place and he said well i don't know let's ask my parents and so we went to his house and and we said you know mom jeff uh, mom, dad, you remember, uh, I'd met them one, but once before, I guess, and said, you remember Jeff? Well, he's, he's an alcoholic and an addict, and he wants to get help. Is there, there any chance he could stay the night at, at our house? And I kind of felt like, you know, like a puppy dog. Mom, dad, look at this puppy I brought home, right? Can we keep him? <laughs> Can we keep him, right? <laughs> and, uh, and they kind of, they looked at each other, and they said, they said, sure. They said, sure. I don't know about you, wow. but I don't know that I would say, you know, you know, he's an alcoholic and addict. Can he stay over for a while? Can, you know, I don't know that I would say yes. Right, right. But they said yes. Hmm. And so it was just to be a couple of nights until I could figure out what I was going to do. And it ended up becoming two and a half years. Wow. And um, they were Christians. And what that did was they modeled to me huh. what um, what a Christian could be. I was I was brought up I was brought up with a in a in a in a religion that was a condemning Christianity, a, a judging tradition, a, a conditional Christianity, a judging Christianity. Right. And I, I really didn't want anything to do with it. And they showed me the opposite. Hmm. They showed me a loving God, a caring God, a compassionate God. Some, someone that was going to guide me and, and cared about me. And so I wanted, I wanted that. And, and about a month later, you know, I, I accepted, I accepted, um, accepted Jesus. So that's, that's how I, that's how I got there. Fast forward. So to your next question, I know where you're going to go. It's okay. So where are we going to, to Laos? So um, my, my, so that was that when you was, look back, uh, but when you look back on all those years from eight to, <clears throat> you know, mid twenties, it, it, I mean, losing your dad is trauma. Losing your dad is deep trauma that put your family in turmoil. That, that had to been like, like you said, like a, a hole in your life, in your hearts that, that you didn't even have a way to process. And so it sounds like this was the beginning of beginning to heal those deep wounds. I mean, you, you didn't have a family and all of a sudden a family comes along, right? 
and they take yeah. you in. Uh, yeah. You didn't, you had never seen mom, dad, and now mom, dad, you know, or it yeah. been, you know, so all those things are incredibly like healing, you know? And so then you're, you're going toward healing and then, and then what happens? Yeah. So, so, um, but it's all tied to your dad. It seems like it, it goes back to your dad. And so I, I, I guess yeah. in, in some ways you, you got to keep going deeper down that hole, right? Toward right, that pain. Exactly. And, and so, um, so, uh, so my dad, uh, uh, so his plane crashed, you know, March 21st, 1970. And, um, we didn't get his remains back, um, until, uh, 1990, uh, 1995, actually, as we got his remains back, but the government did, um, uh, the Lao government at that time was not allowing the U.S. to, to excavate the whole country to, to get these remains back. It was only certain areas. Um, and then they finally opened up the whole country, and then um, we got my dad's remains back. Um, he was um, buried uh, at Arlington. Uh, cemetery in, in Washington, right, uh, uh, D.C., and it was a, it was a, buried with honors. They did a, a mu- amazing flyover for him, and and um, it was an amazing blessing that 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 we were able to 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 get his remains back. We were very fortunate, and um, uh, a little a few years later, to your to your question. A few years later, God was having me go through this healing process with my dad, and and that was one of them. And then um, just various things were going on, and I was ended up going. One of the steps in this process was I'm a member of an organization. Um, it's called Sons and Daughters in Touch, and it's um, uh, it's compromised of sons and daughters who's lost their fathers during the Vietnam War. And there was a uh, there was a uh, um, a conference that we had in in 2000, and they had an, and and I was standing in the back room, and they announced that they were going to do a trip, and they were going to go to to Vietnam to their father's crash sites, or their father's lost sites. Oh wow! And the whole place the whole place erupted in applause, and I thought. It was just me that wanted to go to my dad's crash site because I'd always had this desire to go to his site because it had significance to me. Totally. It, 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 it just, It's almost like closure or a sense of participating or seeing or being a part of it. Right. It, it mm-hmm. is there more that I'm missing or is it, it sounds like even yeah. from when you were little that this was a deep desire. Yes. I just wanted to go to that place where he died and, and it had, because it had a significant, we, we kind of knew where his crash site was. Huh. We were pretty sure, but we didn't know until we got his remains back. We, we, we didn't know. And, and we, we had this, his remains were there in this location on this mountainside. We thought if we could just get there. Oh, the or, government, or, Oh, the government had not given you back the remains because they, they were not, had, they couldn't even get there. Oh. We couldn't even get there until 90, 90, 95 uh, or 94. Yeah, well, I see. The we couldn't, we couldn't even get there. I see. To do the oh, I see. So for like 20 years, you're like languishing. And then yeah. in 95, you get it. They have the service, the, the, the honoring of your dad. And, and, you know, think about it. He's a hero. He rescued folks. 
he he died heroically. So there's that yeah. part, which is really kind of beautiful, but it doesn't heal the the loss. So you're thinking if I can. So now in '95, you know where exactly the government found his remains, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly where to go. And, and so, so you knew where to go. Yeah, I knew where to go. And so, and then, and then I thought it was just me that wanted to go. Right. And then when I'm at this organization, I found out, you know, by everybody, all these other kids, sons and daughters of, of you know, cheering when they announced it, I was like, you mean, it's not just me that wants to go. Wow. I'm, you know, you know, it just validated that I wanted to go. The power of and me then, too. The power of, yeah, yeah that's my story. Yeah, that's beautiful. Right. Yeah. And so, um, so I tried to do it with them. Um, but it didn't work out logistically because my dad's air force base was in Thailand and his crash site was in Laos and they were, they were, and so logistically it didn't sure. work with them. Sure. But, um, that was by the, by God's design that it didn't work with them because I ended up through a series of events, God events, uh, ended up going to his air force base and, and meeting guys that were stationed at his air force base in Thailand and going back, they were doing a reunion in, in October of 2002, they were doing a reunion and going back with them. And so people who had uh, served with your father served with them. They, they didn't know, but they were guys that were like, there were some pilots there. There were, um, like ground crew, wow. um, you know, guys that did all sorts of stuff at the air force base, right? You name it. They worked, they did it. And so um, it was such a blessing to be able to go with them because they were able to show me, A, be able to hang around with guys that were like my dad, but show me where, what life would have, was like for my dad. Wow. What, um, where he lived, where what the base is like. Yeah. Where his plane was parked, what, where wow. the officer's club was, you know, Wow. all this stuff. And, and that was healing. That sure. Really to be able to be a part of that. Sure. So then I just, so I, so, um, I wanted to go to this crash site. So yeah. after the reunion, uh, with these guys was, was a few days with them. Um, we, we, uh, I, I hired this guy who was, uh, and, and he was a Canadian living there of all things. And, and I hired him and I said, and so we, uh, uh, to take me to this crash site. So the goal was we were drive as far as we could and we wanted to get to the nearest village to the crash site. And so we drove, we were going to drive as far as we could and we did. And as we and Laos is a, a, a third world country um, and uh, pretty poor. Um, and um, so we, we crossed the Mekong river and and in a boat um and uh immigrated in and 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 uh uh started driving <clears throat> and uh the more we drove you know dirt roads stopped seeing power poles and the homes were on stilts made of bamboo with 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 some with metal roofs but a lot with thatched roofs and and uh we're just driving and, and it was beautiful country and, and, uh, but it's and rural. Driving, driving. I mean, it's rural and undeveloped. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and, and as we get further and further, everybody's staring at, staring at us. And I'm asking, uh, my, my, my guide, Nick, I said, uh, 
why do they keep staring at us? And he says, uh, he says, oh, he said, we're the, we're the first white people they've seen. I go, geez. Um, And uh, so we drive as far as we can and we, and we park the vehicles and we start, we start walking. You're hiking, you're hiking through the the forests of Southeast Asia in Laos at this point, up a mountain. (laughs) Well, so we're at this point where it's, 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 it's rice fields. We're hiking through rice fields. Oh, okay. Okay. And, and I'm looking around and I'm, and as we're walking, I'm like, wow, those are, those are weird places to have ponds. And those are weird ponds side by side like that. And, and he says, he says, Jeff, those aren't ponds, ponds. Those are bomb craters. Oh my goodness. And those would have been <laughs> bombs like, oh. maybe dropped by your dad. Uh, yeah. May, or somebody. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Or somebody. Yeah. That's nuts. And uh, I was like, oh, geez. And so we kept walking and, uh, we now, do you have G- do you have like GPS coordinates at this point? You're you're hiking toward GPS coordinates. I ha- well, we're hiking to the plan was we'd hike to this village, okay, in hopes that the village would know that, where the crash you know, site is. But the village would know where where this place was. That huh. was the, that was the plan. But I had coordinates, and and um, so that was the plan. So we're getting closer and closer to the village, and then all of a sudden, laying on the side of a trail. Is a 1,000 pound unexploded bomb just laying there, like on the ground, and like on the ground, on the ground. Like, like a huge bomb, an ordinance. Huge bomb. Yeah, and not far from that bomb was a school. Oh my goodness! And my, that was my response. It was just oh like my a God. thousand pound bomb. Yeah, a thousand pound bomb is huge. That's, oh my goodness. It's like six feet long. Right. Right. And, and, um, and so I said to Nick, I said, oh my gosh, I said, we, you know, we, we can't let this be here. Right. We can't, we can't, we can't have this bomb be here. Right. If this thing goes off, the school is right there. Right. 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 Far away. What happens? Right. And, and he says, he said to me, he said, he's, well, he said, normally what I'll do is I'll, I'll mark the spot. And when I get home, I contact this organization, this nonprofit, NGO, nonprofit. Yeah. And they, they come in and they get rid of it. He said, but they're reorgan, reorganizing and, and, um, and whatnot. And, and he said, for the past year or so, they haven't been responding to my my text or my, 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 my emails, he said, but maybe if, when you get home, if you reach out to him and I reach out to him, he said, he said, he said, maybe, he said, maybe they'll get rid of it. And so I did, when I got back, that's what I did. And, and, and they did, they came out, they got rid of it and they got rid of um, three others around, just like it around the village. They just found them or the villagers knew where they were. The villagers showed yeah, them yeah. They're they like, were. Oh, Hey, there's another one over here. <laughs> so what it did, is God took that 1,000 pound bomb yeah. to get my attention. Wow. Right? Yeah. It's like I'm there for my dad and going to my dad, and I'm, I'm in this third world country that I, you know, that, that is super poor. I'm overwhelmed by that of where we are, of them, people that have never seen a, 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 and they use the term white guy, but it's really meant to be foreigner. They've never seen a foreigner before, a white foreigner before. Right. Uh, you know this whole overwhelming experience 
And I'm just overwhelmed with these feelings and emotions and of, of, of that. And God uses this 1,000 pound bomb to kind of snap me out of that into wanting to help. Wow. And so then we, we, we walk to the school and the school has, um, it's got uh, uh, bamboo walls. It sure. did have a corrugated metal roof, but, but bamboo walls, dirt floor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and we walk in and the corner of the floor was, was muddy and the rest was dry. And I said, I said, uh, I said, well, why is that? Why is that muddy in the restaurant? And, and so um, Nick talks to, he translates and talks to the near, nearest, the, 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 uh, the, the village headman. And he says, why is that what, you know? And he says, oh, he said, we're, we're a poor village. He said, <clears throat> he said, we don't have, we don't have enough money for school supplies. He said, so that's where the kids learn to write is in the mud. And I was just like, oh, really? Oh really in the mud? Oh, that's terrible. And Nick says to me, he says, you know, he said, Jeff, he said, you know, he said, maybe we could buy some school supplies for him. Right. Then he said, we could buy him some pens and pencils and notebooks. And he said, and uh, he said, uh, they like soccer. We give him a couple soccer balls. And I'm like thinking to myself, okay, this is where Nick's going to get me. He's going to get me. He's, this is where he's going to gouge me for some money. And I'm like, oh, geez. All right, Nick. All right. How much? They talking to the guy back and forth. And he says, he said, yeah, there's about a hundred kids here. He said, he said, we could buy him enough school supplies for 50 bucks. And I'm like, yes, we can. And yes, we will. Right. And then. Just so inexpensive. Sudden, right. Just not even that much money. Two bucks yeah, a kid. <laughs> Oh, no, and 50 so, cents a kid. <laughs> yeah. And so all of a sudden, these ideas just started flooding in my mind. Um, I've been attending Westgate for, uh, uh, well, now it's been 24 years. Um, and uh, Steve had just come on board about a year prior. The um, uh, head elder was is a guy was at the time was a guy named bill brown he happened to be a navy cb and the navy cb is a engineer a construction guy right he actually did some construction he was stationed at my dad's base at the same time my dad was oh my goodness he, he didn't know him but he was there he did he did some work on my dad's base there oh my and i'm gosh. like i could get bill to come out we could get them off this dirt floor and get them a, a, a floor built. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a dentist that attends Westgate. I could, I could, I could get him to come. Maybe he'll come out. Um, another couple guys on, I knew on the elder board, maybe they could come out. Um, and we could, we could get them more school supplies and get them better desks. They have these rickety desks or maybe, you know, all these ideas just started flooding in my head. And it wasn't my idea. It's just all these yeah, ideas. Yeah, sure. Getting school, you know, uh, for the village, we could get them blankets and 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 um, and so uh, um, so that's what started happening. We ended up we ended up uh, and then there was this. And I'll, I'll speed it up here a little bit. But we, then there was this feeling out process with this village. So that night it was like, you know. 
I didn't know if there was going to be any hostility from these villages, right. these villagers from what my dad had, you know, was part of the war. Yeah. They didn't know if there was going to, you know, like, what is this, you know, what's this foreigner doing here? What does he want? Right. Right. And, right, right, and what's right. he about? So there was this feeling out process that was a, a pretty amazing experience, but finally we built some trust and, 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 and they understood that I just wanted to go to my dad's crash site. And so they, they, they took, you know, put the plan together. And the next morning, it was about a 45 minute hike, um, flat land. And, but the last little bit was straight up the side of this mountain. And we hiked up and, and we got to my dad's crash site. And I, I wish the story I could tell you was this amazing experience, but I was just really overwhelmed with helping and where I was and what I was doing. Right. That was that was really I felt like I was drink, emotions drinking, drinking from a fire hydrant. Um, since then, though, you know, yeah. subsequent trips have been emotional. And, right, and, right, right, right. But you're just short circuited probably emotionally at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah just overwhelmed and short. Yeah. So, anyway. So. So. But you're saying back, later, later on you would now, it literally is there a plane there? Or parts of a plane, wreckage yeah, of a plane. There are parts of plane, um, uh, part, little bits and pieces of of plane parts. There, um, the big pieces of the plane, uh, the the uh, uh, the Vietnamese had come and take. take oh, I see. I see. The, the big parts and got rid of it. Um. So uh, anyway, so we we I I came back I came back home. I was fired up to, to want to help. Um, like I said, Steve had just um, started. And so I met with Steve and Dana. My, uh, my wife, Corey, and I met with Steve and Dana for lunch. And I explained to him what had happened. And this is what I was thinking. I wanted to come back and bring a team back and, and, and help them and help this village. And um, was he interested? Or did he think this was something Westgate was, was, would be interested in, in doing? And um, because the previous pastor was about kind of growing the church, that was kind of his focus. And Steve came out and it was just, he was like, absolutely, this is something we want to get behind and want to do. And so um, hmm. that's what we did. We put together a team. There was, I don't remember, eight of us or something. And, and we went back and we did this outreach where um, we did the floor. You're just recruiting from folks you know at Westgate. Anybody who has any skills to try to help these villagers. <laughs> you're like, Hey, you want to come along? And, and people, yeah. people are saying, yep. 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 Amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. Amazing. I want to help. I want to help. I want to help. That's amazing. And, and, um, what year is this, by the way, this is 2000. You said two to that. Well, I met with Steve in 2002 and then we did our first trip and it took us a year. Uh, and then the timing, it has to be dry season. So, right. Uh, 2004, January, 2004, uh, before we actually went. Um, and then, uh, and so we did this huge outreach and everybody, it was just an amazing experience, amazing blessing to bless the villagers. They were just like blown away. Um, we were blessed the kids. Uh, uh, I met, um, I met some, uh, I met a gal who, um, uh, was working working there and um living there and her her um focus is on training lao women huh. to be lao leaders 
and uh, so so uh, um, she uh, uh, had. So we were doing a second trip. So we did our first trip in two thousand and four. We were coming. We decided we wanted to do it again yeah. the following year. And and she reached she reached out to me just before we were getting ready to go. And um, she said, "Hey, hey, Jeff." She said, "You're coming again, right?" And I said, "Yeah." And she said, um, "She said you're bringing a construction crew." And I said, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna rebuild this school. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do some construction work, and and whatnot." And she said, um, "Would you be interested in building the first ever alcohol and drug rehab facility in the country?" And I said, "No, we're way too busy." <laughs> no, no, no. I said, of course we would. Yes, of course. Right. God, I get it. Right. I get the big picture here. Right. I get what you want, want for me. Because you see, in Laos, for guys like me, for alcoholics and addicts, there was what nothing. they do yeah. would throw them in prison. Oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Right? That's what they do is throw them in prison. Yeah. Or in some places, they stone you to death. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. So, but in Laos, there's no treatment centers. There's no alcohol or rehab centers. Nothing right. like that. Exactly. The kind, the yeah, kind like not. you went through, the help that you had gotten. Right, right. right. There's, there's not, there's, there's, there's nothing. Got it. And so, um, so we did. So we, 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 um, so we, 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 we team went up and we started building it. And so the rehab facility is, um, um, uh, a couple, two and a half hours outside the, the capital city of Vientiane, and um, the addicts go there and they get recovery. They also get life skills. Sure. Uh, like job they, training they and stuff. Job training, right? How to farm, how to how to how to do healthy farming, right? Pro uh, proper farm techniques, things other than rice. Crop farms that they can they can sell. They also learn how to do, like things like. Frog farming, I mean, excuse me, fish farming, frog farming, turtles, that kind of stuff. Huh. Um, they learn uh, mechanical, how to uh, fix things, electrical wow. uh, 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 skills, carpentry skills, furniture making, that kind of stuff. Wow. All the while getting recovery as a result. So we started doing trips and um, I ended up starting Impact Laos. A nonprofit, um, kind of your non own nonprofit, right? No nonprofit, yeah. right? Because Westgate really wasn't geared to run sure. nonprofits. They're they're really more about supporting uh, them, them supporting them. <laughs> right, so right. It just made sense to to start Impact Laos, so I started that, um, and um, and then we have multiple um, uh, areas where we where we um, uh, we do we we focus on is 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 doing outreaches. Um, uh, where we uh, uh, go to various areas, various villagers, and we do, um, we love the kids. We love the kids. We love the schools. That's always been a focus for, for us. And so we do school renovation um, where we're, we're repairing, always repairing roofs yeah. typically or building schools or um, something like that, um, repairing the schools. Uh, we always, always, always give uh, school supplies to the kids, and we have these kids come through, and 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 we want that 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 touch. 
So the yeah. kids come through a line and we, we, we give them, hand them the school supplies so we can get that one-on-one -on -one interaction with us. And then now we've branched out to where we, um, we take doctors with us that are um, uh, with chiropractic uh, care. And that's another great outreach because these are, um, you know, substance farmers. And so they have a lot of skeletal, you know, uh, issues. And so the one-on-one the -on -one touch with the chiropractors wow. is a great, great outreach that, wow. that we love doing. And, wow. and, uh, um, um, and so, and then we also do um, um, water wells when, when, um, in in when we can do that so those and then certain other things we do co-op uh we do certain things that uh, that can help uh if the farming yeah we, we yeah. will do that and then the other half is that we partner with uh is the, the alcohol and drug rehab facility is right, right. our partners of us of ours um and westgate has been um such a great supporter of that uh and helping us with that so um as um um uh so the so with the rehab of, of of so the guys are in the rehab and one of the things that's happened is when they leave the rehab they're they're we, we call it in in recovery called going back out right yeah. they don't have a support structure yeah um, and so um so they'll go back out and so my heart's desire has been to have um a place where they can um live and work and also get additional training in, in the city. Right. Um, kind of like an and, intermediary step of support and care. Right. Yes. Yes. And <laughs> which so, is so crucial uh, in recovery processes. Yeah. Uh, it's called, so we're, it's, um, it's a, uh, we're calling it a development training center, but it'll have, uh, um, classrooms downstairs and training rooms downstairs. And then upstairs will have dorm rooms and, um, uh, so they can live upstairs, get training, and then and then go get jobs, and then be around other people in recovery. Right. And and and, and um, so we've had the land. Um, uh, we've we've been able to acquire the land, and acquire funds for partially funds for um, getting the development center built, and then Westgate's come along and and um with their generosity and help completed that the fundraising effort that we needed to to get that built so um is that so being built soon or now uh it well i'm going to find out uh in a month the status of that I where see. we are with that i see um so but it's fully uh, funded and it's going to be built the question is like how fast yeah exactly amazing it's really the when when are they going to break ground yeah that's awesome uh, and uh it's it's going to be soon so that's, that's the amazing so that's so great um, and jeff when you think about that trip to go visit your dad's crash site um i think you probably thought this is healing for me this is going to be my closure um and it actually turns out it was much much bigger yeah but did you did, did you feel like though in the process of that um you did get healing um enclosure when at some point when you went went to laos or how is how is the story um you know when you think about it when now that you've been in laos for almost geez almost 20 years you know doing work when you think about it what what was god doing when when you when you look back on that what kind of things has god done in you 
Yeah, so he's he's uh, absolutely in the process. Got I've, I've I've gotten healing in this process. Of course, we never completely sure. heal. There's always grieving and mourning that happen um, for me uh, with my, my with my dad. I still miss him. Wish wish he were here. But um, you know, I, I I share this all the time. Is is I'm a nobody, right? I I, I I'm nobody special. Right. I'm an alcoholic. I'm an addict. I, I have some college education. I, I don't write well. I don't speak well. I don't do a lot of things well. Right. Um, and God t- took me, took the tragedy of my dad's dying when I was six years old, that negative impact of my dad's dying when I was six years old. And only he can turn that into such a positive impact. And I and I named my nonprofit Impact Laos because of that. Because 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 he it's not me. It's not me. I'm just it's him. I'm just willing to say, yes, God, I'm I'm here. Right? Do with me as you will. That's it. Yeah. And, and 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 in that process. That's what he's done to where, to where thousands have been affected. Yeah. And it's, it's, and it's not me, right? It's, it's him. It's interesting on the bookshelf behind you and the view, you know, the listeners can't see this, but there's, there's three crosses and then there's a picture of your dad with his medals and then a model of, you know, this airplane, um, which is probably the one he would have flown, right? The exact model. And that, that airplane, that crash, that tragedy, um, in some ways spiraled you down into alcohol, alcoholism and addiction as you ran, but those three crosses representing that the work of Jesus took that death and it rewrote the story and your dad died saving some folks and now you're living, saving some folks yeah. and it's just such an incredible turn and only only those three crosses, only the Jesus on that center cross um, can turn horrible stories into something so beautiful. Yeah. And uh, man, man, that's inspiring to me. And uh, man, I, I get emotional just thinking about it. Jeff, thanks for sharing all that. And I'm excited for what's, I mean, this is not the end of the story. We're, it feels like we're just getting traction into more and more and more and more. And you're just getting traction into more and more. And it's, um, it's pretty incredible. So I'm super grateful for, um, and, and it's interesting too, to me that the way to healing was not just some personal journey, but it, it also involved bringing God's kingdom and serving others, right? That's part of the healing process and, uh, the redemptive story that he's writing and, uh, what an incredible thing. So grateful for you guys and your family and for your ministry and, uh, I, I can't, and if, and uh, do you know what, uh, what campus you're going to be at this weekend? Um, in the lobby? Uh, yeah, so I'll be, yeah, I'll be at Saratoga campus this oh, weekend. Well then yep. folks just stop by impact Laos, talk to Jeff, hear his story. And, uh, maybe, maybe somebody wants to partner with you. Maybe somebody has a heart, um, for, for Laos and they're saying, Hey man, I could, or maybe they're a former addict and they're like, Hey man, how could I help? Um, because I know what, mm-hmm. I know what addiction is like. And I know what a dark pit of despair it can be and how Jesus can help. 
So there's all sorts of ways to do that. So uh, thanks, Jeff, for your service. Thanks for uh, sharing with us. And uh, we look forward to hearing more and more in the years to come about Impact Laos uh, and, uh, and, and and not just how Westgate can impact Laos, but how God can impact Laos. So pretty exciting. Amen. All right. Amen. And thank you. And thank you, Westgate. And thanks for having me. Dave. Thanks a ton. Just want to say thanks again to Jeff Hudgens of Impact Laos. Thanks for your vulnerability and for sharing your incredible story of the work that God's done and is doing. We're so excited to be partners with you in this incredible ministry. And also thanks to Finney Abraham and Melissa Hung for sharing all the things that they saw. Always a joy to talk to you guys. And we'll see you next week for week three, our final week of Compassion Immersion. See you then.